0: Here's Pastor Scott. It's a long psalm, but in verse 105, there is one of the most famous verses, one of the most quoted, one of the most familiar verses in all of Scripture, and I want you to hear today the word of the Lord. In Psalm 119, verse 105, the Bible says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. This morning, I want to teach you from a sermon titled, A Lamp and a Light. Say, A Lamp and a Light. Pray with me. God, thank you for this lamp. Thank you for this light, God. Thank you for your word to guide us, to instruct us, to refine us, to shape us, to mold us. God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you'd speak to us through your word, Father. I pray that you would anoint me to say the things that would bring you glory. Teach us today, God. Increase our faith. Let us learn what you would have us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Very familiar verse of scripture for people who've been in church for a long time we've been hearing about this word thing one one, this is this is so cool to me one of the primary subjects in the bible is the bible did you get that nowhere in the bible does the bible defend itself as being perfect and true it exposes itself consistently, though, as being perfect and true. You can't go to a verse of Scripture, and that's a weak argument anyway. If you ever get in a debate club, they'll teach you the difference on how to craft proper debates. They would teach you on how to stay away from fallacies that will wreck your argument in a debate. You never use authority as its own authority. Well, that, that's, that's true because my mom knows everything, and my mom said so. Mom can't be the authority for mom. All right, And the Bible, in, 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 in an argument with unbelievers, if you say that the, the, the authority of the Bible is the Bible, then can you see where that causes a problem if they don't believe the Bible? And this is why I say don't argue with unbelievers. The Bible says not to argue with the unbeliever because you can't nag somebody or argue somebody or Bible beat somebody into salvation. What you can do is get saved yourself fall so deeply in love with God that your life shines a light everywhere you go and people want what you have. And then they will listen to what you have to say without you trying to prove anything. Now, to those of us who are saved, we don't need anybody to tell us and we don't need to debate with anybody. We know deep down on our inner knower that the Bible is right, that the Bible is true, that the Bible is a real and a living book. And we're going to talk about the Word of God a little bit this morning uh, it, it's, it's a lamp it's a light you see the Bible shows us not only where to step but how to stay on the path put that verse back on the screen for me Deacon the word is a lamp to guide my feet that shows me where to take my next step and it is a light for my path that shows me how to stay on the proper path now the image here. As I've told you before, if you really want to have good Bible interpretive skills, you need to always try to understand the Scripture as it was written to whom it was written. You need to take into con- context their culture, their 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 idioms, their their frame of mind, what they had going on in the earth at that time. There were not street lights and roads and highways and interstates in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. They didn't have uh, lights lamp posts everywhere, so if you had to go somewhere in the dark, you had to carry light with you. And you, they didn't have, like they had these handheld spotlights, they call them cue beams You know, it, man, you really want to blind somebody, go to Walmart for $35, buy you about a gazillion lumens spot, handheld spotlight and just pop that on, light up everything, light up this whole room. They didn't have stuff like that. They They had small lights that they would carry and they, they they would hold them down here. So the next step they took, you don't want to step on a snake when you're walking uh, out in the country. You don't want to step on a snake when you're walking on unproved ground. You don't want to step on a rock. You don't want to step on a root. You don't want to step on something that's going to cause you to have a m- mechanical injury. You don't want to step on something that is going to twist your ankle. So you have to, when you're walking when you're going somewhere, you have to have a light that shows you where to place your feet. Now, we're looking at this uh, analogy this morning. We're looking at this not as literal language, but as figurative language. The the Bible, in a figurative way, if you are walking somewhere with God, will show you where to take your next step. So many people get, get confused. So many people get bogged down wondering what they're supposed to do next. Let let me go ahead and help you out with that. Do what's now, and, and God will take you to what's next. If you're not doing what's now, you don't need to worry about what's next. But if you're really doing what God has for you to do now, and you're walking with God hand in hand, the light that God brings through his Bible will show you where to take your next step. And here's the thing. The Scripture says that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. But if we're not living how we need to be living, we might be stepping in a place we shouldn't be stepping. So we need to live our lives in accordance to this holy written Bible. See, the word of the Lord, we call it the Bible. It's named many different things inside this Bible. The, the statutes, the testimonies, the, the commands, the, the scripture, the word. It gives light to guide our feet so we don't step on the wrong stuff. I want you to know if we constantly had the Bible in the forefront of our mind, we wouldn't be stepping in it when it was wet and squishy. Yes? Yes? All right, y'all don't want to follow me. We, we, wouldn't be, we wouldn't be stepping on things that hurt us. We wouldn't be stepping on things that trip us. We wouldn't be stepping on things that cause damage to us. But not only does the Scripture say of itself that it is a lamp that guides our feet, it also says it's a light that guides my path. And as you take this, you hold it down there because it's, it's very little bit of light. Get out into the deep woods somewhere away from the city where there is no light. You'll find out how dark the world can be. And if you have a weak flashlight with a weak battery, you really have to look at that. When you have a small amount of light, that you have to really pay attention to that. And you hold it down here to make sure of what you're stepping on. But occasionally, you've got to take that light and you've got to shine it out a little bit to see which way the road is turning. See, it's for your feet. And it's for your path. Now, if you're like me, and in this regard, most humans are, we don't want to just see how far in front of us a dimly lit lamp will will let us see. We don't want to just know, well, what's happening? See, this gives you the next step. This gives you the next three or four steps. Most people would rather God show them, what's my life going to be like in 10 years? I want to not just see what's four steps ahead. I want to see what's down the road around the corner. I I don't want to just see a little bit. I want to see what what my journey is going to look like. I want to tell you something. The reason why God doesn't give us more light to see further into the future is because it would either scare us off, run us off, or put us in a panic. Life is done better one step at a time than trying to figure it out. This is where people, intellectual people. See, here's the thing. If you're crazy and you know it, count yourself as high IQ. And you can rejoice in that. Uh, High IQ people are more likely to go crazy than low IQ people. High IQ people are more likely to be depressed than low IQ people. Because high IQ people sit around and think a lot. And they think about how bad stuff is. And they think about how bad stuff was and how bad stuff's going to be. And they think about how horrible the past was. And they think about how the past is going to reflect on the future. And they think about how they've been done over here and how they might get done. And, and then all of a sudden, they're crippled and they're not on the path anymore. They're laying down. Whereas low IQ people, they're just like, do-do, 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 do-do. Hallelujah. See, so if you're brilliantly intelligent, remind yourself in your depression, well, at least I'm smart. If if, if you're not all, you know, intellectual, remind yourself that you are not bogged down with what the thinking people are bogged down with. God does not want us to see so far into the future that we can set the light down and walk without it. God doesn't want to illuminate down the road. Well, I want to know what's going to happen to my children. Uh, I want to know what's going to happen to my marriage. I want to know what's going to happen in the job. God is not interested in showing you that far out view. It's about a lamp and it's about a light. It's about the next step and the next few steps. It's about the safety of putting down your foot on your next step. And it's about the guidance of staying on the path around the next step corner. So the, these pictures show us that that God's word is light. Say light. But it, it's a light that brings light. See that's that that same light it 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 was light for here but it brought light out to there. So it's it's an ever-shining light. It doesn't make things darker or harder to understand. The Bible many people think it's hard to understand but it, it isn't really it's it's a it's a book about light not a book about dark. Now see there are people who are involved in clubs in organizations, and organizations. And some of y'all going to be offended by this, but I tell you, if you get offended by the truth, uh, that facts don't care about your feelings. The truth, the truth, anyhow. And some of y'all going to be upset when I say this, but, but uh, you, know, you can get glad in the same pants you get mad in because the truth will set you free. But if you are involved in a group that has secretive things, secret handshakes, Hidden symbolism, meanings that only you and your select cult members get. I'm never coming back. See you or not. It's the truth anyway. Don't kill the messenger. I'm just here to read the mail. You, you got a problem with, with, with the message, take, take it up with the one who wrote the message. The Bible is not some hidden, secret, dark thing. That we don't want everybody to be able to figure out. The Bible is a book about light. It's a book about exposing things, about bringing things into the full light. It, it this this verse was was very uh, instrumental to the reformers. You see, the 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 church went through what we call now the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther, not Dr. King, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther from from. 600 years ago, uh, he, he decided that the Catholic Church, which was the only church there was for Christians at that time because they killed everybody that wouldn't be Catholic. Study the Holy Wars, you'll find that out. And they hid so much, and they still do. Not on purpose as much now, but just by course of how they did it forever. See, I was born into the Catholic Church. I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I can tell you this. As a Catholic, we don't care nothing about reading the Bible. The priest knows the Bible. That's why in, in my lifetime, it's only been just recently that they started even saying the Mass in English. Catholics went to a Catholic church for thousands of years and, and, and they, they did the Mass in Latin. Ain't like, is it over? Shh. When he tells you to stand up, it's over. And it's like, I don't even know what this dude's saying. Because they didn't believe that the Bible could be clearly understood. They didn't believe that the Bible was right for the hands of the common churchgoer, And that's why Martin Luther and the reformers that stood against the Catholic Church said, uh, sola scriptura, the, the Bible alone, that's what we need. We, we don't need institutions. We don't, we, we don't need uh, priests. We, we've got Jesus to bring us to God, and we've got the Holy Ghost to teach us the Scripture. We need teachers to illuminate things to us, but we don't need the Bible hidden from us. And if you study... The, the course of this book you will find out that for hundreds of years they killed people who tried to promote the widespread use of the written word of God. People would try, publishing the Bible was illegal. Handing out the Bible was illegal. You, they, and they would tell you, you, you don't need to read that because you, you, you can't understand it. Come to church and listen to the priest. Come to church and listen to the priest in Latin? How am I going to understand that? Well, they do the mass in Latin, but they do uh, a a 42-second homily in English, maybe a two-minute homily in English, uh, depending on what priest you had. But they kept the Scripture away from people, and they used this fallacy as the reason why. It's just too hard for you to understand. It's too difficult. You'll understand it wrong. You'll 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 be improper. You'll you'll get bad theology. And listen, bad theology creates bad fellowship. What what did Jesus say when he went around and called his twelve? What were the two words he told them? Follow me. So because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he never changes. If he told them two thousand years ago, follow me. Guess what? His two words to us would be today, follow me. Well, here's the issue: good theology creates good fellowship. Bad theology creates bad fellowship. Now. Theology comes from two different words, just like anything with ology on it comes from two different words. Because ology is a scientific study of a certain set of facts. Uh, Biology, uh, by coming from the Greek word bios, which Jesus used when he said, I'm come that they might have life and have life more abundantly. The study of life, in in particular human life, biology is the study of human life. Uh, is that theology, two words. Ology still means studying a specific scientific look at a, a field of study. But the first word in that theology is theo. And theo is the Greek word for God. So theology is the study of what? The study of God. All the things, the area, the field of study surrounding God. And I want you to know that your theology will either cause you to follow Christ properly or will cause you to follow Christ in a wrong way. That's why so many people start off in church but fall away. Because when something falls apart in their life and they don't understand it and it doesn't line up with their thoughts, they just decide this ain't for me. And they walk away all together. But the, the reformers, they, they love this verse of scripture so much in, in uh, Psalm 119, 105 because it made this declaration about a lamp and a light and it made it specific to the individual, not to the organization or the institution. It, 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 it promised guidance for your walking and your journey. It promised specific individual guidance, and they, they used this verse of Scripture to promote uh, what big fancy English word uh, perspicuity. Perspicuity. Anybody even know how to spell perspicuity? That's on the spelling bee. But perspicuity means something that is clearly expressed and easily understood. And the reformers taught perspicuity, they taught that the Bible is a book. That is self-relevatory, it's axiomatic, it's it's self-evident. If you read it, you will understand it. Yes, there's difficult parts in it. Yes, there's parts that go over your head. Yes, there's hard uh, metaphors, similes in the Bible that are difficult to piece together. But as a whole, if you read the Bible, you will understand the big pieces of it. This is why I was talking to uh, Jacob yesterday, and, and we were talking about Josh McDowell and other people who had done investigations about the claims of the Bible. And I told him, any human being alive that ever does an honest examination of God's written word can only come away with but one conclusion, that God is real and that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Anybody who ever does an honest study of this book, people, deep people, intellectuals. I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, I'm an intellectual. If you have to tell someone that, you're probably not. Well, I'm a deep thinker. Once again, if you have to tell someone that, you probably not. Uh, Just because it takes you a long time to figure out what 8 times 7 is doesn't make you a deep thinker. That's just a slow thinker. But I've had people tell, well, Pastor Scott, I'm an intellectual. And I study all religions. No, you don't. You study all religions, there are over 1,000 false religions in India alone. Have you studied all of those? No. no that, what they mean is I don't want to be holding to any set of rules and regulations that tell me I'm wrong. So they, they try to put it in a, in a, I study all. Listen, here's what I know. If anybody ever did really study all religions, when they got to God and his book, and they looked at the truthfulness of this book. The truthfulness of this book is clearly re- evident to all who will read it that this book is different than every other book. This book is alive, and the words jump off the page. And it has power to shape us and to change us. But uh, we, we, we live in a dark world. We live in a dark world. The, the Bible says uh, in, in many ways that dark is... Uh, Uh, a place that is sinful and opposed to God. Light is a place that God's love is shining forth. And you you know what you want to do? You know know what? Uh, You turn turn on a light, darkness runs away. You turn on a light, darkness disappears. I love to be in big stadiums when, when they turn the lights on and you see the shadows just start chasing further into the outfield as the lights come on. We need to be shining our light in a dark world. The Bible tells us to go in, go forward into this dark and crooked world and to share the love and the light of God. But most people inside the Christian church, even though I do believe in the principle of perspicuity, even though I do believe that large portions of the Bible are easily understood, I think people give such a brief examination to it that most Christians even yet have bad theology. I believe that most churches have bad theology. I believe that most pastors have bad theology. I believe, you say, Pastor, you think you're the only one with good theology? I don't think I know everything about the Bible. I'm still a work in progress. I'm still learning, uh, but I've learned some things. And the way I know I've learned some things is because I used to preach this way about some things, but, but I learned something, and I changed, and then we started preaching the truth about it instead of just what I'd been taught because most of us have been played by what pastor said. Most people can tell you what their pastor believes, but they can't tell you why he believes that. He can tell you, but he's not there. Most people can tell you uh, what mama and them taught them in church, but they don't know for themselves what the Bible says. We've got to get proper theology so we can have proper fellowship. because if your theology is bad, life is going to shake you out of God. If your theology is bad, life is going to cause you to throw in the towel and say, this just don't work. I've seen so many people say Christianity didn't work for me. I I had people tell me, i still got a letter in my credenza, young man in our church who was precious to me and my family and this church. He wrote me a letter uh, when when Gail was sick, and he said that Miss Gail was the sweetest Christian woman he had ever known, and if God won't heal her, he'll never believe in God again. And he'd give up on God because if God won't help her, God won't help anybody. And... Her, uh, her and I talked to him and let him know, look, God is not beholden to heal any of us. God does what he wants to. And so, you know, so you got these people out there preaching that God's got to heal you message. If that was true, nobody would ever die. And I already told you, I got real problems. And, and, and a lot of it, because a lot of your own personality and your own experience can, can falsely shape your theology. A lot, of, a lot of who you are can give you some right or wrong ideas uh, about Christ. I've got a very simple fallback uh, because I don't agree with people who, who say that, uh, you know, nobody should ever have any physical ailment. There, there's some physical ailments that, that God have you go through so you lean on Him better. And it's impossible for me to believe from preachers wearing eyeglasses that, that, that God demands perfect healing in your body. Now, that to me stands out because I'll be 55 years old in two weeks, and I've never wore a pair of reading glasses, read every day, never wore a pair of contacts, don't need any visual help to read. Uh, Now, it is getting a little. I'm in that club now. Uh, Yeah, I'm in that club now. We we ate ate at B-dubs last night, Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. And that small print on that menu. Dark words on a dark menu. Black lettering on maroon background. Low lighting cuz they want that place to look like a bar. I'm just trying to eat wings. I ain't here for y'all's foolishness. So, I I I I got I got to do do my little trick. and and, and let let everybody you see. My kids tell me all the time. They 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 tell me, "Dad, you know everybody in here uh thinks you're that single dad that only gets us you know, on the weekend, because we're always out eating, and they just think, you know, that's, a, that's your night with the kids, or they think because, you know, you were 40 when we came along, 38 and 40, uh, that, that you, you may be the dad or the granddad. Well, I leaned on granddad status last night. I pulled out my iPhone, turned the flashlight on it, and lit that menu up. Probably if I had some glasses on, those words might have looked a little bigger without my iPhone flashlight on them, but... People with bad theology will get to a place in time where something works opposite of their belief system and then they're put in a crisis. We had people quit the church when, when Gail died of cancer. We had people leave. Pastor don't believe in healing, which was ridiculous because I believe in healing. I preach healing. I've been healed. I've seen people be healed, and I never even talked to a funeral home until after she died. We didn't know when we were going to bury her, how we were going to bury her. We weren't planning on burying her. Yet and still, people said, this church, "This church, healing don't work for this church. We got, we got to go somewhere else. That was just bad theology on their part. The Bible says that all of our days are numbered. you got a certain amount of time to be here. And listen, if you want to die of old age, good luck with that. I've already outlived where I wanted to be. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I came up in that generation uh, of people that were still being influenced by by the previous generation's culture. And you know, James Dean was dead before I uh, even born. But I think it was James Dean that said something that stuck with me. I want to live fast, die young, and leave a good looking body. Well, I've already outlived that. I lived too long for that. And, and, and some of y'all want to live to be 80, 90, 105 years old. Gail's grandmother, I told some of y'all, she turned in 99 next month. Um, and everybody's saying we're going to all gather up in Pennsylvania next year on the 100th. I'm thinking, might want to do 99 might want to celebrate 99 but here for for all you want to live to 99 and 100 folk the bible promises that the days of human beings are 70 years but if by reason of strength they be more than that they are filled with pain and suffering here's what it says you're going to get about 70 years in this life on average that's just what it is you don't have to look for all these uh mortality charts that go up and down in uh, different countries. You can just read the Bible. It was written a long time ago, and it said you're going to get about 70 days, give or take, but if by reason of strength. If you're strong, healthy, if you can make it past 70, then you might make 75, 80, 85, 90. 95, you might make 100. But if you live past 70, here's what the Bible promises. Those days are filled with pain and suffering. You want You want to find out, you want to hear the truth? Don't ask a young person how they're doing, they'll lie to you. I'm all right. No, you whacked and cracked. What are we doing? All right. You need a belt. That's, you'd be better off with it. But but you, you want to hear the truth. Ask an old person. How you doing? Oh, well, sit down. Grab some sweet tea. Because there's a speech coming. Well, you know my gout. <laughs> ain't, ain't it real? <laughs> You're not as young as when I met you. Uh, well, my, my, my sciatica, that's not a word. My, I think I'm getting at that old timers. That's not a word either. But it, the, people, when events happen to you that differ from what your theology is, most people aren't willing to say, well, maybe I believed wrong. Let me research and, 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 and make an adjustment so I'll have good theology. Most just want to throw their hands in there and say, God don't work, this stuff don't work. I believe for this way, and it didn't work. I believe for uh, my marriage to stay together, and it fell apart. I I, I believe for financial miracle, it never came. I believe for my cousin to get this, and it didn't happen. I prayed for my children. And and instead of adjusting on theology, see, here's the one point of theology that will help you never have bad fellowship. If you will base the majority of your Focus toward God on this one characteristic, this one attribute of God, the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He is the king all by himself. He makes all the rules and he does what he wants to, when he wants to, how he wants to. He doesn't ask permission or take counsel from anyone. And if it looks wrong to you, then the looking is wrong because God is never wrong. That makes it easy for me. I don't have to sit back and ask God why. Because I already come to God through a proper biblical approach that he's sovereign. God doesn't have to explain anything to me, and he won't explain anything to me other than what he's already revealed to me. But that's why we need proper theology, because it will allow us to have proper fellowship. It will keep you from jumping off when things go astray. And let me tell you something. Life's going to go astray people looking for this life of ease and grease and, 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 and no trouble, the Bible says you'll always have tribulation. Trouble, trouble that's always going to be there. You're always going to have difficulty to overcome. You, these people that preach nothing but health, wealth, and prosperity, I don't preach a lot of health, wealth, and prosperity. I live health, wealth, and prosperity. I'll say something that will make all y'all mad at me. My kids and me have not had any medical insur- insurance, For over five years. None. None. Because when we took uh, 30% pay cuts as the staff, when our church got smaller, we we decided that we're going to, instead of not supporting our missionaries, we'd just take less money as staff members. And my health care got cut out. The only benefit I ever had from this church I got no pension, I got no 401k, I got nothing for my future coming to me financially from this church. They were paying health care for me and my kids. And when that got cut out, I paid it for a minute by myself, you know. Obamacare, the salvation of everybody's health care problems. My health care, when the church was paying it, was $1,351 a month. And just price increase every, every, every six months, price increase every six months. When, when I finally canceled it, I was paying $1,883 a month for health care. Five years ago. God only knows. Listen, if you make a certain amount of money, you're like, well, you, you should have got so. They don't give away freebies to everybody. When, when you got four different streams of income and you're trying to be a producer and not a taker, you get no help. And so they're like, well, you make too much money for us to give it away, so we're going to stranglehold you with almost $2,000. I looked at that and I thought, man, this is $23,000 a year. We don't get sick. People ask, uh, what, what, what's, your, what's your primary care physician's name? Don't have one. What, what, what's Jacob's primary care physician's name? Same name. <laughs> well, what about Seth? He's younger. Surely, what's his primary? Don't have one. Well, that's irresponsible, Pastor. No, I told y'all, just because I don't preach a lot of health and wealth and prosperity doesn't mean I don't model it and live it. I'm not saying don't go with insurance. Now, I would recommend if you got to pay $23,000 a year uh, just to have a $7,500 deductible. So before I, fi- before I could get a penny of insurance, I had to pay $30,000 a year in premiums. Hallelujah for affordable health care. I don't understand why some people don't like affordable health care. Me, me, me and Pookie, we get free medical. We go to the doctor every day, and I pay nothing. Well, that cookie don't crumble that way for everybody. Health, wealth, and prosperity is not something you hear me preach a lot about, but I always got money in my pocket, and I don't go to the doctor. I wouldn't go to the doctor if I was sick, but I just don't get sick. You say, well, you, you just wait. You, your day is coming. If it comes, I won't be mad at God. What are you going to do, Pastor, if, 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 if something bad happens in your life? I'll be doing the same thing I've been doing for the last 37 years, leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarm. I'm not saying don't go without insurance. That's not right for everybody. I, I, I'm not saying that, you know, everybody's going to live the same kind of way, but these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers, that's all they preach about, but they don't live it. I'd rather follow somebody who lived it than somebody who just talked about it. And it, when, you, when their theology goes bad or, or, or when their lifestyle goes bad and it doesn't live up to their theology, most people are not willing to say, well, maybe I believed wrong. Here's what they literally do. They blame God. You didn't save my marriage. I'll never follow you again. When, when the pastor stumbles, in, in, when, when, when uh, uh, Jimmy Swagger stumbled, the largest departure from church attendance in the history of America due to one man, Jimmy Swagger. More people, because at the time he was the number one broadcast preacher in the world. He was on more television stations, on more radio stations than any human being had ever or still has ever been on. He was the voice to the world on TV and radio. And when, when he fell, so his church attendance died to death. His denomination got shattered. Uh, and people said, he, if he ain't living it, it ain't real. Well, how does that mean anything? If I lose my mind and, and go sideways, that shouldn't change who God is to you. It, 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 and if you're looking at a person to, to, to be everything for you, then you miss the message of Christianity. It's not what the pastor can be for you. It's what Jesus is for you. And so people, when, 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 when life doesn't line up with their bad theology, instead of admitting that their theology is bad, they blame God and they walk away. Because pride won't allow them to say, well, maybe you were wrong about that. Maybe God had a different plan. Maybe you were taught wrong. My mama taught me what the scriptures say. You mean the same mama you told me was dysfunctional and, and, and half crazy when you were growing up? Let's think about it. We can all be wrong. Can we all be wrong? But God cannot be wrong. Most Christians know very little about the Bible. We've got one book, 1,189 chapters, two covenants. We've got one, one book this thick. Most people never read it from cover to cover, and that's a shame. We've got one book. People read books all the time, but they won't read this book because this book will change you. This book will change your thinking. It will change your lifestyle. It will guide your steps, and it will keep you on the right path but a survey among self-professing, born-again Christians. These are the only people that were qualified to take this survey. Now, some of you, if 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 they ask you, are you you a self-proclaimed, born-again Christian? Some of you say, yeah, that's me. That's the category of life I fit into. This survey was only given to self-professing, born-again Christians. And listen to the results. Question, who preached the Sermon on the Mount? 58% of the people did not know or answered incorrectly, which means they don't know. They filled out a wrong answer or just said, I don't know. So either way, 58% did not know that our Lord Jesus Christ's longest recorded sermon in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mountain. 58% of people, born again, self-professed. They asked this question, is the book of Thomas in the Bible? 48% 48% of self-professed born-again Christians had no idea. It's a coin toss. And here's the thing. Of the 52% that got it right, you got to know a bunch of them were guessing. <laughs> y'all know how y'all do. Y'all Christmas tree that test. You just go, if you Christmas tree a test, you're going to get a certain amount of them right. If you just go B straight down the line, you're going to get a certain amount of them right. That's not the best way to do it, but you know some of these people were guessing born-again, self-professed Christians were asked, how many apostles did Jesus have? (laughs) 71% of self-professing, born-again Christians had no idea how many apostles Jesus had. We don't know a lot about this book that we claim teaches us about the God that we love. When asked, last question I'll give you. I got a lot of them, but it's just so ridiculous. Is this phrase in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. That's what I learned. God helped those who help themselves. Amen. Hallelujah. That is not in the Bible. 70%. Now, this ain't lost people. That's not. Muslims have been studying the Quran their whole life. This is self-professed born-again Christians. And, and, and. I dare to say 70% of the people in this room, if I'd have said, uh, did, did God say God help those who help themselves? Sounds good. I'll go with that. you go wrong. How about cleanliness is next to godliness? That's not in the Bible either. Ben Franklin said that. I think. And Ben Franklin wasn't a Christian, so how, how are we going to take advice from him? People like Ben Franklin was a Christian. All the founding fathers, all, all the presidents of the United States. were Ben Franklin wasn't a president either. Ben Franklin was, a, was an inventor, a, a philosopher, a smart dude. Uh, he, he was a deist. He saw God in everything, but he wasn't specifically a Christian. But we take a phrase that he said, uh, cleanliness is next to God, and that's what the Bible says. No, the Bible does teach to be clean. And the Bible does teach you reap what you sow, but these phrases, uh, what, what am I telling you? Most people don't know very much about the Bible at all. If, if I started with Karen and worked my way around the whole room, and I said, here's what I want you to do. Just quote every scripture for us. You can, right off the top of your head. People would be getting up leaving. I ain't coming to me with that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not outing my, my, my lack of knowledge in front of this group of people. But here's the thing. Here's the trick of the devil. The devil wants you to think that the people around you know more about the Bible than you do, and they probably don't either. So, you, you know, you're in equal company for, for a large part, but we need to change that Say change. We need to learn the Bible. We need to learn this book that lightens up our steps and our path. It, it, it's designed to guide us and to keep us on track. But people fall off track because bad theology causes bad Uh This morning I'm going to shine some light on an area. That, that many people have taught wrong. Uh, it's an area that I have uh, been trying to teach against for years because no matter how good something sounds, if it's not scriptural and someone tries to assign it as scriptural, they do scripture harm. No matter how good something may sound, if someone tries to teach it as a godly principle and it's not a godly principle, they lead people astray. We should not be, the scripture tells us, overthrown by every wind of doctrine. The wind blows this way, you believe one thing. The wind blows that way, you believe another thing. We need to know what we know. Well, ain't it enough just to come to church? Well, it's enough uh, to come to church for a couple hours on Sunday morning to keep you safe in your knowledge of God while you sit here. But when you go out from these doors and life happens to you, you're going to need some Bible of your own. You're going to need some Scripture of your own. Hard times are coming. Hard times are here. Hard times have always been here. I'm not talking about some gloom and doom in the future. There's always been struggle. There's always been strain. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, said that, that he was persecuted and that, that he was cast down. He was overthrown, uh, but, but he hadn't given up on God. The reason he didn't give up on God was because he had a right understanding. He had a right view of God and the Word of God. People that give up on God because of life's mishaps, people that give up on God because life goes sideways, Uh, They had a bad theology, and it caused bad fellowship. I'm going to talk to you over the next couple of weeks about some things we need to get straight in our theology. But one of the things that I've heard so many times, and if I would have asked this publicly before the setup, if I would have said, how many people would agree with this? God won't put more on you than you can stand. I hear that almost everywhere I go. I heard that at the funeral yesterday. I had somebody tell me, uh, oh, Pastor, I didn't know it was the 12th anniversary to the day of you preaching your wife's funeral, but you're a strong man because you know God won't put more on you than you can bear. I'd let it go. I mean, I don't have time to be correcting all all craziness. I don't have time to be correcting all bad theology, uh, especially if the setting is not right, and I don't believe that the ears are there to hear what the Spirit says to them. So this is a pervasive false mindset. God won't put more on you than you can bear. This is a pride-creating mindset. This is a, for the very purpose of what was told to me yesterday. Oh, you must be a strong. All that you've been through, sister, you must be a strong woman of God. You must be one of God's strongest, most chosen disciples because God, because you can take it. You can bear it because God promised he wouldn't put more on you than you could bear. God, God made that a promise in the Word so you can handle it. No, that's a pride-creating, bad theology, surefire pitfall for when you get to your cracking point and you've always believed that God promised He wouldn't put more on you than you can bear and you know you can't bear it anymore. Either there's something wrong with you or God's a liar and you've got to quit on God. And people are very resistant to admit something's wrong with them. And And that's from day one. That's from Adam blaming Eve, Eve blaming the devil. I mean, Adam blaming God. That's always passing the buck. So we got to make sure that we have good theology. God won't put more on you than you can bear. I want you to understand it is God's determined purpose to put more on you than you can bear. It is God's will and design to put more on you than you can bear. God wants to burden your load. God wants to stack it on your back. God wants to make your load so increasingly heavy that you will have to do as the psalmist, as the apostles, and as all real Christians throughout the age have done and fall down and said, I cried to the Lord in the day of my trouble, and he heard my cry. Well, why didn't you just bear it? If God ain't going to put more than you can bear, David, why don't you just rise up in Jesus' name? Click your heels three times and say you're back in Kansas. It don't work like that. It is God's determination to put. Listen, some of y'all are bearing your load by yourself. And you think, well, I must be okay because God ain't going to put more on me than I can bear and I'm still holding up. No, no, you're holding up. in in a false theology because you could have already broken down and said, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Take this from me. I call on God in the time of my trouble. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. He's the God that wants to load your wagon till you can't pull it anymore so you'll realize I need God to pull this wagon. Stop believing God won't put more on you than you can bear because when you begin to break down, you're going to wonder what's wrong with me. How do all these other Christians deal with it? When when God is putting more on me than I can stand, why is he doing this to me? He's not doing it just to you. He's doing it to everybody. He wants us to falter under a load of self-will. He wants us to falter under the weight of a load that we're trying to carry by ourselves. It's just like every dad. I'll give you my pickle jar analogy and we'll go. Every dad. Loves the pickle jar. Traditional home. Dad, mom, couple of kids. Pickle jar. Kid tried to get in the pickle jar. Can't get in the pickle jar. It's on too tight. So, mom, can you help me with the pickle jar? Dad's sitting there thinking, can mom help you with the pickle jar? What are you talking about? Go ahead, you know, you know. Go ahead, ask for a Whopper at McDonald's. So, you know, mom's got tricks and strategies. Mom's going to run it under the water, which does nothing but make it wet. You would have to put to heat up and contract to expand and contract a metal lid on a pickle jar. Doesn't happen in three seconds of water running on it. All you did is make it wet. Oh, but my mom would take a a, a knife out and try to pry the lid open. All you're going to do is bend the lid and make it harder to get it off. Well, the knife don't work. I'll get a spoon and I'll pop it off. There's three rings of glass holding that metal lid down. You can't pop over three rings with a spoon. So dad's just sitting there thinking, this ain't something children, most children can do. This ain't something most women can do. This ain't a job for water, knives, or spoons. This is a job for Superman. <laughs> it don't take water. It don't take spoons or knives. What it takes is brute strength. Hand me that pickle jar. Dad. That didn't even look hard because it wasn't for him. And God wants to open your pickle jar for you. You're walking around struggling with a pickle jar of life. You're walking around trying to carry your own burden. You're walking around trying to pour water on it, use a knife and a spoon to pry it up. You're trying to get other people to help you carry your load while all the time God is just sitting on the throne thinking, I could carry that like it was nothing. If you just let me carry that, we get somewhere together. You don't have to be bogged down and strained down. All you got to do is break down. God said he gives strength to those who faint, and to those who are weary. As long as you try to stand up and bear your own load and operate under a false theology that God's not going to put more on you than you can bear, you're just going to have to bear it. All the while, back's hurting, knees are hurting, ankles are breaking, legs are crippling, and eventually you're going to fall, and you're going to have to quit God because he lied to you and put more on you than you could bear, when he never lied to you because he never said he'd put more on you. He never said he wouldn't do that. Well, Pastor, then why why does everybody believe that? One verse of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Listen to what the Word says. There have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with every temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. See, there it is, Pastor. God faithful. He won't put anything on me that I'm not able and, and, and he won't give me anything that I can't bear. Okay, so you saw the word faithful, able, and bear, and you put all that together and made up false theology that's going to haunt you for the rest of your life. So when you feel yourself crumbling under the weight, you got to question, why are you doing this to me, God, when you told me you wouldn't give me more than I could bear and I feel like I'm dying, I can't breathe, I can't live another minute of this painful existence. Why are you doing this to me? You're accusing God of something he never did to you. That's not what it says. Let's look at what he said. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. Common means everybody has it. I just feel like the devil tempts me harder than he tempts everybody else. No, you're just weaker than everybody else. Because you don't hold on to God. All this is saying is everybody got temptation, everybody got difficulty, everybody got trials. Stop thinking that you're some special case that lies harder on you than it is on other Christians. The devil messes with everybody, and God strengthens everybody that is that, that is on his side. It says, but God is faithful, comma. So we need more information about his faithfulness. And here it comes. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. Semicolon. Always pay attention to the punctuation. Read between the punctuation. It will help you take the Scripture in bite-sized pieces so you can understand it. The faithfulness of God is not that He won't put more on you than you can bear. The faithfulness of God is that He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able without making an escape route. This is what the Word says. It's about how much temptation comes your way, not about how much difficulty comes your way. It's about how much temptation you have to deal with, not about how many problems you have to deal with. God does not want temptation to overwhelm you. He wants you to trust his faithfulness and take his escape route. What is this saying, Christian? No matter what temptation is staring you in the face, the faithfulness of God has an exit ramp for you somewhere. You go, you're on the interstate. You're going the wrong way. Uh, Now, look, you get on the Florida Turnpike between Orlando and and Miami, you might catch that. There's a 97-mile trek there. No exit. Next 97 miles. (sighs) You better have gas uh, in the car. You better not have it in your stomach because there ain't no bathrooms for the next 97 miles. That's unusual. Most of us living in this area, there's an exit every every, every couple miles. Every two, three miles, there's an the exit, mile and a half. There's an exit, and exits all have off-ramps. When you go in the wrong, you get on 295 heading in the wrong direction, and you admit it, most people are like, I know where I'm going. GPS machine is wrong. When you finally admit that you're going in the wrong direction, the state of Florida has provided you an escape for going in the wrong direction. It is called an exit ramp. And I want you to know, it, whatever temptation you're dealing with, if you're a child of God, the faithfulness of God allows an exit ramp for you. You can get off. You can get off if you're heading south and you need to be heading north. You can get off on that exit, turn that thing around, and get to heading north. And it's the same way for whatever you're struggling with. It, what, whatever it is, I don't care what the temptation is. Each of us have different areas of temptation, but we're all tempted. And that temptation is something that you don't have to give in. Well, I couldn't take the temptation was too strong. No. Your willingness to exit and take the escape was not present. You don't have to go to the bottle. You don't have to go to the pills. You don't have to go to the club. You don't have to go to worldly means. There's an exit ramp for you, believer. None of this is saying that God won't give you more difficulty than you can bear. It's only saying God won't tempt you above what you're able, but with every temptation we will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Bear what? Your difficulty and your burden in life? No. Bear the temptation that is plaguing you. Here's the thing I know about temptation. Once you pass the test of temptation enough times, the devil leave you alone about that. There are people in this room right now they, they can't hardly drive past uh, a convenience store or a package store or a, a, a drive-thru uh, liquor lounge without thinking, Ooh, I could use a drink. I could use a drink. I don't believe you drank in, in your day any more than I drank in my day, because I was a blackout drunk. Um, and I, y'all know, I, I carried gallons of, of moonshine in my trunk. I, I didn't drink for the taste, I drank for the effect. And, uh, but I, I used to have a horrible drinking problem. It was creating uh, health problems for me as a teenager. I lived off maylocks. I had bottles of maylocks on me in my car. My stomach was always hurting. My stomach was being eaten away by uh, strong alcohol as, as a child. I stayed sick the majority of my senior year. I was always puking. I, w- I was always in a fog, in a, in a, in a haze. Uh, but th- there was a way out of that for me if I wanted it. And I took that. And God delivered me from that. And I said, no, 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 no. Enough to where, you know what? I can drive by any liquor store. They could have a sign out front. Buy one, get 35 free well that's just good math pastor that's that's good stewardship doesn't phase me at all i i don't i'm not struggling with a desire to pull in and grab some liquor why because i said no to that temptation long enough to where it's not a temptation to me anymore you got to learn how to pass your temptation test and one day it won't burden you anymore because the devil knows That is one off-ramp grabbing joker right there. That is an exit-taking, turn around, go back to God joker. That is a get-off-my-way-and-back-to-God's-way person right there. This verse of Scripture does not teach that God will not put more on you than you can bear. No kind of way does it teach that. God says He will not allow you to be tempted without giving you an escape route so you can bear it. As far as the weight of life, Pain, emotion, physical, financial, spiritual, warfare. All those things are designed to stack on you. Stack on you, stack on you, stack on you. All those things are designed to create a heaviness in you to bring a reality that says, I need help. And then there's God. Oh, you're you going to let me get that pickle jar for you now? Because that's easy. The Bible says nothing is hard for God. Your situation is that is causing you to crumble, your situation that is causing you to stumble, your situation that is causing your mind to tear apart at itself is designed by God. Stop saying, well, I'll be all right. God promised He won't put more on me. than He. God promised He's going to put enough on you to where you bow your knees and fall under the weight and look up. So here's my help to you real quick, and I'm done. If you've got a bunch of weight that you have to move, which is life. And the promise is from the boss, who is God, if you pick up something that feels a little heavy to you, call on Jesus. He'll come carry the heavy side and you carry the light side. So here's what smart people do. box a little heavy right now to me i got a bad back and you know if, if, if i got to carry a box and and i see deacon west around and he's stronger than me and he loves me and he's there to help me in 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 my infirmity and 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 i just say hey deke this, this box feeling a little heavy to old man with a bad back right now boom he's he would you would you help me carry it here he'd help me carry it when no questions asked that's what god wants you to do here's what the smart christian does the smart christian realizes i can't carry much I just, I just let all them superheroes carry all that weight. You want to be burdened? You want to fight the burden? You want to, you want stumble and strain? You want to? Let me. You know who carries the biggest boxes? The smallest man in the room. You know why? If, if there were boxes out there, if there were boxes out there to be carried, and there was Deegan West, Deegan Dixon, and 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 some teenage boy who weighed a uh, 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 half their weight. He'd grab a reasonable load. He'd grab a reasonable load. That young, immature, needing to prove himself, smaller child would say, "Let me show y'all how a real man do it." <laughs> and while he's hobbling his way to get it to the fellowship hall, they're already back grabbing that third box. It's only immature people to try to carry more than they, they can carry. So here's what I made up in my mind. I'm not going to carry anything. I'm not going to wait till life bur- burdens me so much to where I collapse in a mental breakdown. I'm not going to wait till the strain of living gets on me so much that i got to go get in the psychology office and, and, and get all looped up on some medication to help me think, right? I'm not going to try to let too much weight come on me when God has provided me a weight carrier in His Son, Jesus Christ. Man, there was a great song out in the early 80s and... and One verse in it said, carrier, carrier, Jesus is your carrier. It's all right. And I realized even then, he should be, but I carry too much for myself. And I believe some of you are carrying too much for yourself. And God wants to carry your load. He wants to open your pickle jar. He wants to take the heavy end and let you have the light end. That's why he said Come unto me, all ye that are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're walking around with a heavy burden. Don't, don't live under false theology, under bad theology that says, well, it must be all right because God promised he wouldn't put more on me he can bear. God is trying to make you fall to your knees and ask for help. Some of y'all getting beat up by life. You're getting beat up by life with the all-time undisputed, undefeated heavyweight champion of the world King Lord Jesus Christ standing there waiting on you to tag him in. You're in there taking the whooping of your lifetime. And he's just standing there saying, put me in. Because what's whooping you can't whoop Jesus. What's heavy to us, not heavy to him. Immaturity says, I'll show you I can carry it. Maturity says, Phew, I'm not even going to get in the ring. I'm, hey, if, if, if me and Jesus are going to a tag team fight and, and, and you got the devil and, and, you know, the worst president ever over there wanting to kill us, I just tell, you know, go ahead, Jesus. I'm going to just sit back. I just cheerlead. I won't go in there and get hit all in my face. I'm 54 years old. Hallelujah. Wear him out. Go, Jesus. God wants us to sit back and cheer him on, not go into the ring of battle and get beat up to the point where we can't stand up anymore. See, after that fight, Jesus wouldn't be sweating, I wouldn't be bleeding, and we'd have the belts of champion. God will put more on you than you can bear. He's put more on everyone than they could bear. He put more on his son than his son could bear. And that's why Jesus said, if there's any other way, please take this away. But for you, I'll do it. He put more on his apostles than they could bear. They all died violent deaths, torturous deaths, except John died old, the only one. Life's going to put more on you than you can bear, and God's not going to protect you from that. God never designed to protect you from that. We saw two weeks ago on Wednesday night that... Uh, Jesus didn't say, take take trouble away from them, God. He he, he said, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world so they don't have to deal with any trouble. I'm asking you to strengthen them in this life so they can deal with it. God's not interested in making your life perfect. God's interested in putting challenges, burdens, difficulties in your way. And so you'll fall on your knees and look up to heaven and say, I need you to take this from me, God, because I can't. It takes a lot of humility to admit that you can't. Proud people don't want to admit that they can't. Proud people, I'm all right. I don't care what Pastor Scott says. I know God ain't going to put me on more than I can bear, and I've been bearing it my whole life. Uh, that's why you're bitter. That's why you're angry. That's why you're mean. That's why you have no joy. That's why your praise life is pathetic. That's why, that's why you can't pray. Because you've been trying to prove how tough you are in a way that God didn't design you to prove. And it's going to break you down. It's going to break you down. So my encouragement to you today is let Jesus carry your load. Admit. See, it's only when you admit that you're weak that he'll be strong in you. You want to be strong? Be strong. You'll fall under the weight. Better people than us have fallen under the weight of life and life difficulty. But Jesus never fails. Jesus never falls. Jesus is always ready to step in and carry the load for you. I don't know what you're going through in life. I don't know what you're disappointed in God about. I know some of you are disappointed in God. I know some of y'all are mad because things didn't turn out the way you wanted them to turn out, and I get that. A lot of things in my life haven't turned out the way I wanted them to turn out. But I know God has a plan, and I know his plan is right. So I'm going to choose to stay following this book and let this book light my next step. And light my path as I go forward. And I want to encourage you to stay in this book. Let God give you guidance. Even though you don't understand the journey you've been through, and maybe the journey you've been through has been difficult. Maybe the weight that you've been under has been unbearable. Make a decision today that says, I'm going to let God carry the heavy stuff. And I'm going to let him guide my feet and guide my path. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for giving us your word to guide our steps and our path thank you God for being willing to carry our load for us so that we don't have to carry it ourselves thank you God for the challenges that you bring our way that cause us to lean on you thank you for the difficulties that you bring our way that cause us to cling to you father help us to cling to you before we are in difficult times help us to cling to you before we are breaking down help us to live in your peace in your glory and in your life Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.